And if our little ones would like to go with Lee. Amen. Amen. And thank you for sharing that because there was a lot of accidents across this country at that same time. And when you understand, when you go through something like that and you're looking for God in it, he, you'll find that He's in it. And when you find that He is in those moments at that time, you can begin to understand that He is always in every moment in our life. Thank you. Now, you kiddos that want to go with Lee, I promise you it's safe. Well, once we've convinced kids he couldn't boil, Lee that he couldn't boil and eat them, he, we were fine. I hope that you may plan to, uh, to be here consistently over the next few weeks. Um, I, will, I will share a little more in detail week after next about the state of where we are in the church. But regular church attendance, attendance is down to about 19 times a year. So uh, if you think you're attending regularly and you're only here uh, one out of every five weeks, according to some you are. Um, but over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the state of the church, and not our church in particular, but church in general, the way that we view church in America and the way that Christianity is viewed in America. And uh, uh, there's in the bulletin, you'll see that there's a sermon series called The Way Back, and it's, I take that title from a book that I've just completed reading by Jonathan Bach and, and um, Philip Cook. And they did some really good work in trying to understand what's going on in the American church. And the truth of it is, is that if you've been around as long as I have, and Miss Robbie's looking at me and says, huh, you're just a kid. <laughs> I, one day I'm going to get to the age where I can say that with some credibility. But when you've been around for a while, you, it doesn't take much to realize that the church has kind of lost some ground in our culture, at least. And if you've studied church history like, like I have, you can look back in time over the last 300 years, and you can see that happening as the church marched westward 
it really did great for a while, and then it would just kind of go. And when you look at history, you can, you can see the same things happened over and over again in the church, not outside the church, but in the church. And so we're in that place now in our history, only because of the circumstances in which we live, things happen much more quickly than they did before. If someone would have told you 10 years ago that you would make more phone calls from the wheel of your vehicle than you would at your house, you wouldn't have believed them, but today you do. That's amazing. Things are moving rather quickly, and the way that the world manages information, and the gospel is information for the world, life-giving, healing, powerful information, but the way that we've handled information has changed everything about the how fast things change. So the church, and at no fault of, of society, we have lost kind of uh, where we are in the world, and we have that to thank. But we also need to get busy correcting the situation, and it's not going to be hard to do. And we'll, we'll be exploring that in great detail in the coming days. So I want you to come every week, and I want you to come with a mirror, so to speak. You ladies may have one with you now. If we were playing Let's Make a Deal, somebody would win. And the kids are saying, what's Let's, what's, uh, let, let's Make a Deal? What is that? That's how fast things change. <laughs> if the gospel's going to matter in the future, it's got to matter to us now. As Christians and as the church, the only, thing, the only legacy we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not building, it's not programs, it's not, it's not any of those things. The only legacy that we hold to pass on to others is the legacy of Jesus Christ. And I would just give you um, one little caveat to that. My, where is Shelby? Did she leave to go to the back? Help. No, there she is. Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand, darling. You're, you're my representative uh, 16, 17-year-old that's here today. Okay, so in, uh, in uh, eight years, she'll be 25 years old. And in, and, in, and in eight years, she will live in a culture where people her age, less than half, will believe in the gospel of Jesus. When I was her age, I went, and, I went back and looked this up. When I was her age... At, or at 25 years old, when I was 25 years old, man, it seems like it was, didn't even, wasn't even, never happened. That's right. Only 8% of my age group at age 25 did not believe. For Shelby, it would be over 50% will not believe. So we've got to address the situation, and we have to do it in a manner that... Uh, that requires us to surrender to God wholly and completely. There's no other way to do it. And this is the work of the church. So we're going to be in Acts today. Acts chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. Everybody's heard this passage, I hope, if you've been in church at all in your life. We're going to... Uh, Acts chapter 1. <laughs> I'm going to read just three verses there. 6, 7, and 8, and then we'll refer to some others as we go along. 
But verse 6 says, When they had gathered around Jesus and asked Him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I think there's a lot of people today that ask the question, Lord, when are you going to establish your kingdom again? When are you going to return? There's a lot of Christians asking that question. They're, they don't want to deal. To, to me, that's a way of saying, I just don't want to deal with this. And God has given us everything that we, that, that we, that we need to deal with what's going on in the world. So they were asking, when are you going to do this? And Jesus, and look what he says. Before he would have said, I don't even know when this is happening. That's only for the Father to know. But now he's been to the Father and he's returned. And he's going to return again. So he says, uh, it's not for you to know these times or dates. The Father has set by his own authority. So he's saying, stop wasting your time. And don't waste any energy about what's going to happen. God's got that under control. You don't have to worry about it. Again, and and later on in uh, in verse 11, maybe my favorite verse in the whole passage right here. It says, men of Galilee, they said, why why do you stand here looking up into the sky? What are you waiting on? It says, the same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So there's some things you can be sure of. God's got everything that you're worried about under control. And Jesus is coming back exactly like he left. He's not going to come as some spirit and all this. You saw him leave as a man. He's coming back for his brothers and sisters as a man. So you don't have. These are things that we no longer have to discuss. That's what he's saying. And in between this is the real meat of what's going on here. So Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Okay, so what do we need to be witnesses? And we're going to kind of do a quick review here in a minute. But look at who's at this gathering here. This is the men of Galilee. So this was his disciples. Okay. But we also know that there was 500 more that he appeared to during that 40 days between his resurrection and the time that he ascended. So we have fishermen. We have businessmen. We've got a government employee. We've got brothers. We've got husbands, sons, religious people, some not so religious people. Zealots. In the broader 500, we probably had wives and mothers and daughters and shopkeepers and seamstresses and people that were hurting and people that were well and people that were in pain and people that were not in pain and people that were bald and people that had hair and we could just go on and on. What we know, who we know was not in that group was preachers and teachers and elders and deacons. They weren't even invented yet. There wasn't even a need for them yet. And yet Jesus is telling this bunch of ragtag people who had nothing to go and be my witnesses everywhere. Just get on your horse and go. And so before we ever start, we have to get it out of our mind that the work that Jesus has described here for this church to do doesn't belong to pastors and teachers and elders and deacons in the church because he wasn't even talking to them. He was talking to all of us. See, at that point, there's no, there's no separation between, um, well, the Latin did this for, for us. They called the church the laity, the laos, or the common people. And they called the, 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 the church leaders the, 
they were clar- their clergy. Kleros comes from the gifted people. So they separated the church into two groups. These gifted people and just ordinary old regular people. But Jesus saw us all the same. And he's speaking to us all the same. So when we look at this, we all know that we have a same, the same responsibility for the witness to who he is. Okay? It's important to know what we are giving witness to. Now the witness for those is for those who had a relationship with Jesus. He's speaking to 11 men who had lived with him for three and a half years. They knew him. They knew everything he said. They knew everything about him. And so he was saying, you give witness to who I am. Then through the 500, the same thing. Paul refers to the 500 later when he writes his letter. There's 500 of them, and many of them are still living. Like he's saying, if you don't believe me, there's a lot of witnesses out there, and they're ready to give witness because they were with him. They saw it. They saw him alive. They saw him crucified. They saw him risen. There's truth to this that is real for your life if you will just listen to those who are speaking. So the same truth holds to us. Those who are able to bear witness are those who know Jesus. And the idea behind this passage is that because you know Jesus, you are more than motivated to share with others who He is and what has happened because of Him. So what are we giving witness to? I, w- I want to go through three passages rather quickly. If you want to follow along, uh, or if you want to mark them, because these are good passages. Um, well, they're all good, but uh, I guess they're good for what I'm saying today. <laughs> and, uh, and they're good otherwise, too. 1 Peter 3.18. This is a place where Peter is saying... He's talking about having to suffer for declaring this witness to the world. And, and he says it's better um, if, if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than suffer for doing evil. It's better to go about doing good and be in trouble than be bad and be in trouble. But then it's this next passage that puts all that into perspective for us. In verse 18 it says, For Christ also suffered for our sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So when it says that you will be my witnesses, Jesus could have easily been thinking about what Peter would write many years later. It says, you will bear, bear witness that I suffered once for your sins. I was righteous, but I gave myself for you the unrighteous so that I might bring you to God. We give witness to that as the church and as believers. Pretty simple. Hebrews 9, if you want to go back a little ways, to Hebrews 9, chapter chapter 9, verse 15. It's said in a different way, but the same message. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. The old covenant was one under the law, and the law condemned us. We can't keep the law. But Christ comes... And He is offering us a new covenant with God, a new agreement with God that doesn't require any law-keeping. <laughs> he says He offers this new covenant that those who are called, and we are called by faith in Jesus, may receive the promise 
of eternal inheritance, meaning we will be with God in His life forever. And how, why is this possible? Now that He has died as a ransom or a payment to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He has died to set us free so that there's no longer any encumbrances about a bunch of do's and don'ts. All we have with God is life with Him. So if, we li- if we're living that and we're declaring that, we are, we're being good witnesses. Last one, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Maybe one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I'm just going to give you the tail end of it. 521 says, God made, it's, the whole passage is talking about God reconciling Himself to us. So that every, there's, no, there's nothing between us. All that there is between us is the blood of Jesus that, that allows us to walk into His presence. So he says, God has made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sinless becomes sin for us so that when we are in him, we're right with God. In fact, God later, it says in later part of Hebrews that we were reading earlier, we become the inheritance that God claims for himself. And then it goes on to say, as God's co-workers, which is what we do as witnesses, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Listen closely. If you have received the salvation of the Lord and you claim a life with God, you receive it in vain if you're not if you're not also reconciling the world to God as His ambassadors. You, you hear what I'm saying? You can't just receive God's grace and not share it with others. Paul says you're, you're receiving it in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor Now is the day of salvation. There is no other day to wait to declare what God is doing in the world. It is happening now in the life of Jesus Christ. And as we claim that for ourselves, we have an obligation to share it with others. So we go back to Acts 1.8 and Jesus says, You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones to share these things with us. But he says, first you will receive power to witness. And this power is the Holy Spirit of God. Now there's some things here that we must listen to carefully. He says that it will come, and it did come. The Spirit of God came upon the church on the day of Pentecost. They were all in a room praying. You can turn over to chapter 2 and read about this. They were all there, and the Spirit comes upon the church. And in that moment, the church is born. And as you are baptized, as you come into faith in Jesus, you become a part of that church that has existed from that very moment. And in that moment, and in your coming to Christ, He reigns upon you, His Spirit, and you are joined with the church. We are each a part of the body of Christ. The the, the church is described as, as the body of Christ. And so we work out our responsibilities this day of the Lord this 
witness that we give, we do it under the power of the Spirit. And yet I believe the church is in trouble today because for some reason many of us are just waiting. Look, if the church was living out its, its witness, if each one of us was living out and sharing the witness that we've been given, that we, that we have simply because we're saved, the world would be different. Would you not agree? But as we will find out in later weeks, if only 39% of the people that claim to be the body of Christ actually gather as the body of Christ, it becomes very difficult to know just how we are going to do this work and under what guidance and pretense that we do it. So if we're waiting, there's got to be some reasons why we wait. So let's look at some reasons. If you're waiting, you may rest assured that God has empowered His church. If you're a believer, you have been empowered by the Spirit. But if somehow or another you are waiting on that power to be real in your life, then maybe you need to become reconnected to His church and to that power. There's no other way to say it. The power of God was given to the church. And if you're feeling, if you're feeling powerless to do the work of witness, then it is because you have disconnected yourself from the church. There's no other way to say it. God didn't come and rest His Spirit upon any one individual person. He rested it upon all the individuals in that room and said, and even when Jesus came back to His disciples, He breathed upon them and said, Receive the Spirit. He didn't breathe on one and said, Now you've got the Spirit and you go work under its power and the rest of you guys sit back and eat Oreos and watch reruns I Love Lucy. That's not what He said. He gave life to the church. And if you feel powerless in your witness, it is because you are not being nurtured by the Spirit. You may need to examine your relationship. That's all I'm saying. It's not a bad thing to be there, other than it's ineffective. But it is an opportunity to look yourself in the mirror and say, man, maybe I need to get better connected with what God's doing in the church. Maybe I'm not been trained and equipped and encouraged like I should. And maybe that's not the fault of the people in my church. Maybe that's my fault for not being there. Not allowing that to happen. Not being able to, to drink up what, the, what is being offered. If you're fearful, fearful or unsure about what you need to be as a witness or what you need to say as a witness or how you are to behave... Well, then there again, you need to be paying greater attention to the Spirit in your life because He's got it all worked out. It's a no-brainer thing for Him. He already knows. He knows the people in your life. He knows what they need. He knows the opportunity that He works tirelessly to make so that you can make these connections with people. You know, this is a simple thing. By the way, if you need any more of these cards to hand out, you're more than welcome to take as many as we have. But this is a simple thing. I've already talked to people where this little card has opened up doors to relationship. Not just guerrilla evangelism where you just throw them out there and hope something happens. Relationships are being formed because somebody took the time to just hand somebody a card. And that card communicated enough to say, I really care about you enough for at least to go look for answers. 
But if you have no interest in being a witness to Jesus Christ, or if you're totally unmotivated to be a witness for Jesus Christ, then I'm here to tell you, you need to examine your salvation. And there's no other way to say it. If you are unmotivated by the salvation of Jesus and unmotivated by the life that lives in you, then you really have got to go get on your knees and have a long talk with Jesus. And let me tell you, he's ready. He's not going to say, shame on you, or you, you had your chance, or any of that stuff. He's not going to do that. He wants so much to bless your life in this way. The other thing that we should be content to do is only what the Spirit leads us to do. We don't have to do a lot of thinking. We don't have to do a lot of planning. We just have to pray and ask the Spirit of God to use us. You know, a lot of times in churches we get busy doing things, and I wonder how much of it is Spirit-designed and Spirit-led. Carl Bates, who was a president of the Southern Baptist Convention years ago, well, I was alive, <laughs> but still years ago. He said, if the, if the Holy Spirit left the earth today, 90% of the work of the church would continue to go on. Meaning that we do a lot of stuff that the Spirit's not interested in and not leading at all. We've got scaffolding that holds up stuff, but if, uh, you know, it really doesn't accomplish a lot. We've got to get busy doing what the Spirit is leading us to do to allow that to happen in our life. Like, like Irwin McManus was saying, we, gotta, we can breathe in, but we also got to breathe it out. You know what the Spirit means? It means breath in the Greek. We're breathing in and out. We allow that movement in our life to, to nourish us and then to pass it on to others. Now, trusting the Spirit is risky but it's rewarding. Ask any missionary. Uh, in, a, in a few weeks, I hope to introduce to you Will North, who will be going to, um, to do a four-year stint in the Middle East. Don't know quite sure where yet, but uh, I've asked if our church could be one of the five that he communicates with, and you know, we're going to find a way to help support him when he's in country. You know, and, uh, but the first time Will went into a place where he didn't know anybody and didn't know the language and didn't know what was going to happen... Um, there wasn't a lot of calculating that was going on. God told Will to go, and he went. Bam. And now he's going to give his life to it. There's a place at which we get out of the boat, and we walk on the water. We have to trust him. Um, sometimes we want, to, we want to trust him for the blessing. We all like Blessings. And this is the trouble with blessing. God rains blessings down on the righteous and who else? <laughs> the unrighteous. <laughs> Another way to decide that is you can be good or you can be bad or evil. God is so extravagant in the way that he, he treats his creation that he, he, he blesses everybody. And after a while, those of us who have a selfish bone in our body begin to want more of that until really it doesn't mean anything. You can define a blessing anyway. In fact, you can define it by money more often than any way else. That's what usually happens. Instead of contentment and peace and joy and all that, that's, that's God's blessing. 
But let me tell you, when you're working, when you're working with Jesus, that is always fulfilling. It is always rewarding. And this is why. You're working. (laughs) And you were designed to work. Secondly, you're with Him when you're working. And there's nothing more sweeter in all of life than to spend your days working with Jesus. There's nothing sweeter. But we have to be doing it. Now the worst kind of life is in between that, oddly enough. It's kind of where you're you're not working and you're not receiving anything from Him. That's kind of pithy. I don't even want that. I want you to watch this video. And it's talking a little bit what it means to kind of give your life away and to, to do this witnessing that we're talking about. So you may be asking, how do we do this? There's no three-point plan to loving somebody. Our witness begins in the way that we love other people. That's what opens doors. I, I, can't, think of a, I, I can't think of anywhere you would go into the world, and if you offer genuine love to somebody in any type of expression that that may come, that they're just going to close the door and you say, man, I don't want any of that. Do you know of anywhere, do you know of anybody that you, think about your people in your life. Who do you know that if you just genuinely wanted to love them, and wherever you're meeting them in that place, and they're going to say, you know, I thought about it and I just don't want no more of that. Anybody? Boy, y'all are quiet today. Of course not. Of course not. Everything that we are fearful of and sharing Jesus with others 
is, is often because we are fearful to show love to another person that we do not know. And yet that Jesus came and he loved a sinner. He loved the unrighteous. He loved the ones who were dead to God. And he brought us to life by his love. So we learn to love. And that's not even the right word. To learn to love. If we claim the salvation that is in us. And we live by the life that breathes in us. We don't learn to love. We are compelled to love. We can't help it but love others. To this place of knowing Jesus. Could it be that the world is cynical about the church today and doesn't really care to hear its message because we're not loving? I've thought about this, and I've read about it, and it turns out, well, there's two reasons. We don't take even what we believe serious, and we don't take loving others serious. And the world noticed. Lo and behold, they looked up and said one day, man, then people keep telling us how to live, but they don't even live the way they say they want to live. So I'm going to go find me something else. So they are. They're looking everywhere for some kind of personal fulfillment. They're looking for, they're looking alcoholism, substance abuse, sexual addiction. Some people are just angry every day and that seems to feed their existence. Uh, it's, it's really crazy what people will, will bend into. And then that doesn't even include other types of religious thought that really is out there and wild. Just because they're not seeing it in, in, in the church doesn't mean they've stopped looking for that fulfillment in their life. And there is nothing in the world that brings life other than Jesus Christ. But we really have to love people to want them to know that message. And you can't make yourself love another person. You know that? But when Jesus is alive and working in your life, you don't have to be made to love anybody. Jesus loves them already. You're just his hands and feet doing the work. That's the witness of Jesus Christ. See, there's no ifs in it for us. He said to go, and then we say, well, but... What if this happens? What's wrong with this? You know, maybe they won't like me. Maybe the time's not right. Maybe I don't have time. All these things, all these ifs that we come up with, they're our ifs. They don't belong to God at all. He just said, go. You're going under my power. You go. Everything's worked out. But we keep bringing up the ifs. When, uh, when we want our kids to obey us, and they start saying, but, 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 but if, uh, mm, you know what we do? Slap them naked and hide their clothes. <laughs> we don't want to hear it, is my point. There are all no ifs, ands, or buts in this work. Because, because God has provided for everything. I mean, our kids may not believe us when we say that we've got it all worked out. Because there's been times when we failed our kids. God has never failed us. 
And he's got it all worked out. So when he says go do something, by God, you go do it. That's right. Because by God, we can do it because he has provided. He has provided us with his very presence. So when we go to witness, we do it intentionally because he has compelled us to do it. When it says you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and then into the other most parts of the earth, he's not describing some model and method. I've, I've heard that all my life. Where, well, Jerusalem represents this and Judea represents that and so on and so forth. What he's describing here is an all-at-once intentionality urgency about what is going on. You're going to be in my places, in these places, and you're going to be there now. We're not working ourselves into these places. I'm there now. You go there now. Make me known by loving them. Now, see, I can't go to Syria. I have no desire. I don't know if my wife would ever let me come back if I left. (laughs) But Will loves them. He loves those people. He loves those people. And because he loves them, he can just go and share the gospel with them because he loves them. And I want to help Will, see. I want to be in I want to be in Syria, but I can't. So Will's there. So we do this as a community and we do this in the way that God did it when he first breathed into the church there in that little room that day. He's breathed into all of us and so we're all connected to Will. And to every other missionary that's somewhere that we can't be but would love to be because we love those people too. We, 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 can't, we can no longer tell people how to live and not be willing to be their guide. We've got to be willing to invest our lives into the lives of others to show them a better way. And the only way we do that is when we truly allow the love of Christ to motivate us to do that. He is the better way for life. And we have the gift of eternal life. And we must make sure, we must demand of ourselves that it is presented to those nearest and dearest to us so that they may live. Uh, I heard a story one time about this grandmother who was getting up in age. She didn't like to shop for Christmas presents, and so she decided that she would send a letter to all her children and grandchildren and even great-grandchildren telling them how much she loved them and that, uh, and that she was sending a check to them so that they could buy their own uh, Christmas presents this year. She was just too old, too tired. She didn't want to go do it. And uh, she sent the letters out, and she was at her desk one day cleaning out a drawer, and she looked in there and realized that she had sent the letters without the checks. And so here she was telling them to all go out and buy their own Christmas presents that year, but she didn't send the money so that they could do it. <laughs> and sometimes that's what the church does with the, with the gospel of Jesus. Hey, go out. You just take care of yourself. Here it is. But, oh, we forgot to include the check. When I lived out west... I went to the Farmington Rodeo with a guy, and this fella came in, and he had this nice, pretty hat when he came in and set in, new boots, and the guy I was with. 
And this guy, he, he, he wrangled horses all day. She always going to know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but he looked at that guy and said, hmm, big hat, no cattle. <laughs> and sometimes the world looks at the church and they say, big hat, no cattle. Sure looks good. Sure is shiny. They got a good show going on over there. Ain't much to it. My brother plays a bass guitar in Austin, Texas. Plays with some fantastic musicians. He got asked to play his bass for a church one time. And he, he wound up leaving there after about three months playing. and he called it the church of the show. They were out backstage. They'd go out on stage to do their thing. They'd go back on stage. You know, my brother at the time was far from God. And he was in a church for three services a Sunday for about three months. Never met a pastor. He came to play the show. He needed God in the worst way. It wasn't until years later that he began to find his way back. We can't just dress this up. We can't just pretend. You got to love people. And you got to want them to know Jesus. The world will be different when the church decides that we, uh, we're going to love people and we want them to know Jesus. Now, I know all of you are thinking, but not everybody wants to hear that message, preacher. Maybe not from you. Some of you in this room right now, I know you've got kids you've been witnessing to and trying to minister to, and they. A boat, they're just like doing this. Uh, I don't want to hear it, Daddy. I don't want to hear it, Mama. And if it was only your responsibility for them, that would be different. But it's not. It's all of our responsibility. And it's not all the responsibility, just the people in this room, but the responsibility for those children belong to everybody that calls themselves a believer. So that one day, the fishing that everybody's doing is going to catch them. And the right person at the right time in the right circumstance is going to be able to look your child in the eye and say the right thing, and they're going to say, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. But the church has got to be busy. We all got to be busy. You don't get to decide who you are going to witness to. God does. But you get to decide who you're going to miss witnessing to because God's not going to miss anybody. He came for all of us. And the sad part about it is the day will come when those who do believe and have a faith in Jesus will go into paradise with Him. But those who have not made that choice in their life, the wrath of God rains down on them. And it must be pretty powerful because Jesus died taking it for us. I don't think we want to have that on. I don't want to have that on my conscience. I don't want to live believing that, that I had the words of life and I walked by somebody because I was scared of something or because I didn't think they were going to listen to me or because I didn't love them. And I know you don't either. So are you... Don't be like these guys, man. They were standing around looking up at the sky wondering what to do next. 
And God very graciously sent two angels to them and said, Stop looking up and get busy. You saw him leave. I can tell you this. He's coming back. Don't you want to honor him with your life in the meantime? Are you still doubting that you're capable? Don't doubt. Embrace the spirit that God has given you. Look, whether people know it or not, people that are far from God, whether they know it or not, they want Jesus. It just hadn't been laid out to them clearly yet. They're searching in all the other things that bring absolutely no meaning to their life, but they're, they're just searching for Jesus. That's your job. That's where you come in. That's where you get to be the hero. <laughs> you get to bring them Jesus. And they'll never forget it. Hey, if you're here today and you've never really trusted Jesus, you, you, all this stuff that I'm talking about is for you. We're all here for you. <laughs> if you've never trusted him, all, all, it's, it's such a simple thing that we ask people to do. We just ask them to say, hey, I know that I've offended God. Everybody knows they have. And I want the thing that makes me right with God, and that's Jesus. That's all a person needs to know at that moment. There's so much more to it, and we all know that. But that gets them on the road. If that's what you need today, in a moment, we're going we're gonna to pause at the end of this service and give you a chance to make that decision. You can come forward and speak to me with that, about that. You, if you've come with someone and, and you're close to them, you can come and you can speak with them about it. But make a decision. Make a decision for him. And if you want to be a witness and you feel like you failed in that, look, all you got to do, it's like any other thing we fail in with God, we just say, Lord, forgive me, I want to do better. And he's going to make a way for you to do better if you mean it. You've got to clear your calendar. You've got to clear some things out of your life. He'll help you do it. But he's serious about this stuff. You know how we know he's serious? That's where the sun came to start. And now we're finishing it. Let's pray about it.